So we're going to wrap up our series uh, called Ecclesia, uh, in which uh, we have been looking at um, a series of metaphors that the New Testament uses to describe the church. Uh, and, and what we've been considering as we look at each of these metaphors is why is the church important? Why is it essential? Um, what is the church? And why is it not okay to say, I love Jesus, but I have an issue with the church? Because the church is the very means by which Jesus has instituted uh, his own presence in the world. That as I've reflected greatly on Luis Palau and his legacy, one of the greatest uh, aspects of the legacy of the Palau organization and why I do so much speaking for them is because I so resonate with their mission, not only to bring the gospel um, to the ends of the world, but their deep desire to do it in, in, uh, in the context of the local church. They will not go into any place where there is not full buy-in of the church um, in wherever it is that they're going to do a festival. And so whenever I go speak for them, it's usually to pastors uh, in these various cities like Madrid where all the churches scattered throughout Madrid come together and to bring, a, bring the gospel to the entire city of Madrid and it's just this powerful reality where the church comes together I, I stood on the stage behind Luis Palau as he preached to 70,000 plus people in downtown Madrid and saw thousands give their life to the Lord it wasn't the power of his preaching, it was the power of God's people gathered together, the church being seen visibly in a city that is truly post-Christian, um, really post-Catholic. And so I think that this is why we need to understand how important it is that we continue to press into this, this firm conviction that the church is not something that's optional in the Christian life. When you are born again, you are born again into the family of God. And that, that new birth um, should bring you not only into like the family of God as a whole, but it should, it should be represented in the local context, in a local community where you can know and be known. So the final metaphor that we're going to be considering today is the church as a building um, or or the church really as a place of worship. What does it mean to be the house of the Lord? And we're going to look at it through Psalm 23. And although Psalm 23 seems like it would be a better passage to use when you consider the, the metaphor of the church as a flock, I actually think that the close of Psalm 23 gives us the insight into, into its primary emphasis that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we just sang it in that song. Jesus institutes something very powerful uh, through the incarnation. It says the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. And that word dwelt in the Greek is literally the word, the logos, the eternal son, literally tabernacled amongst us. That the body, the human body, becomes the very means by which the invisible God becomes known and in the context of the church we as the house of God Jesus said when two or more gather in my name I am what I am there in the midst of them that we become we become this this house where people experience God's presence and what makes the house of the Lord the house of the Lord is not the building but it's God's presence in the midst of a people that are gathered around him in surrender and I think that this is the power of the gospel. I want to um, begin with a passage 
um, from 1 Peter, uh, and then we'll jump into Psalm 23 to kind of unpack it. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, Peter says, As you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's interesting how it switches from this imagery of a building, this place that people are drawn to, in uh, that building actually is Jesus himself, he being the chief cornerstone, chosen and precious. So the honor is for you who believe, but, for those, but also for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected, the stone uh, has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. In other words, that the gospel, when we truly function as the house of the Lord, just like the earthly ministry of Jesus, he never left people neutral. People were either drawn to him or they were appalled by him. <laughs> Uh, he was offensive to their, their sense of individualism, to their, to their, their personal rights. Uh, he was offensive to them because he would make incredible claims such as, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus, either people were drawn to him as one who just was brought healing and peace wherever he went or people were offended by him because he was the light of the world that continually exposed darkness. The church is supposed to be the place that lifts up Jesus and exposes darkness and draws people out of death into life. That we are the household of God. That we are a place where people are meant to see God. Darcy and I took on this house um, uh, over in East Moreland this summer, we sold our house off of Clinton and we bought this. It's funny because people see it and they're like, so fancy, but we are like the masters of doing everything on a shoestring budget and like looking for, you know, used windows and all these things. But we did everything to the house and the house was a drug house. Um, it was, <laughs> they were growing weed literally in every nook and cranny in that house. We, there's a 1958 sauna and I was like all excited because it worked and I got in and turned it on and it was like I was inside a bong um, it was it was not it did not smell awesome <laughs> and I was like I don't what do you do with that I don't know how you get that smell out of there it was like the moment the steam came I was like yeah we're not going to be doing a sauna right now um, <laughs> it was really nasty uh, but people talked about how they're like oh man this is the pie house like we would always joke when we run by it you could smell because they had fans like blowing out of all the windows, like this, like just the weed smell into the middle of the street. And the house was just run down, T111 siding. It was like that. Why are rundown houses always painted the color of like a sickly person? Like that, like really nasty, like pale beige color. They're like, like what made them think like, that's a great color. We should do this color. Um, and it was just peeling off metal windows. The, the, the stereo in the kitchen was literally a stereo from like a truck that had been mounted to the bottom of a cheap cabinet. And it was, it was disgusting. Four layers of flooring I pulled up, four layers of siding. And people were just like, are they gonna tear this thing down? But I, I think about the church and even like the, that metaphor, why I have always cared so 
passionately about taking an old church like Fremont Church, which would have been abandoned, it was boarded up for over a decade, to bring new life and beauty to it, to paint it, to restore the floors. But what made it so powerful was when it opened up and there's all of a sudden 1,200 people in this little 300-person church from five services throughout the day, just cars everywhere and people trying to get in to Fremont or this church after we reopened, after restoring it. The, the power of that, it's, it's, it's palpable. People, it's, it, there's new life. And it's like, it's funny how a cosmetic change to a building can bring new life. And even now at our house, we'll, we'll be eating. We have this beautiful 1920 window that I found for like 500 bucks. That was uh, this massive leaded glass window that was from a house in Laurelhurst that got torn down. And we put it in our kitchen, but it's like, you're kind of exposed to the whole street. And almost every Saturday, because we're right by the Crystal Springs, uh, the spring water corridor, people walk by. And last weekend I was like eating breakfast and I look and talking with the kids and I look up and there's a whole walking group, probably like 50 people standing outside our kitchen and they're like this. And, and I was like, people really like our house. They're like really, but it, and it's like, I actually just found it kind of warming because it reminded me like, that's what I want people to be like when they come to Door Pub. I want people like, I want to be in that. I want to be experiencing that. I think I share one, the, the metaphor of the church is the family of God. Growing up in a pretty dysfunctional family, in a broken family, having difficult relationships with, with, my, de- with my stepdad, um, poverty, all those things played into um, a, a deep embarrassment and shame of my house. And I, would ne- and I never wanted people to come to my house. I always wanted to go to their house. And, and I think about that. I think a lot of people are like that with their churches. They're like, they go, but they would never want any of their friends to come. Um, I pray that Door of Hope is a place that you're excited to bring people uh, who have not heard the gospel. That's what the church should be as the house of God. And I think that this is the essence of what Peter is saying around we lift up Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. We are his building and when we gather in a physical space, when you have men and women who have been born again and filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit is uniquely manifested. And it's what, uh, what I pray that we create is what some call a thin space, where the distance between heaven and earth seems to be diminished, where people experience the presence of God in a really unique way. Every time I visit Holy Trinity Brompton in London, every single time I go in that building, and I'm not an emotional person, I start crying every time. And I think that part of it is because they have created a culture of expectancy where they go, when you go in, you are in the house of the Lord. And what makes it the house of the Lord is a people of God who expect to meet with their savior. And I think that that is a powerful testimony uh, to the health of a church. When you go in and you just feel like crying and you don't even know why you feel like crying, that is an incredible reality. Well, when we think of ourselves as the house of God, um, I think that Psalm 23 can give us some different facets of what it means to be a house. What, what do we think of when we think of a home? And, uh, and the first thing that I would say is uh, based off the first verse of Psalm 23 is that the house of the Lord is a place of shelter and provision. The first line of the psalm is, and we all know it so well, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And to say that 
Jesus is our shepherd is to recognize that we have been purchased at a price, that everything we have, everything that we, everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do, it all belongs to him. That we are, our lives um, are about being stewarded unto the Lord, that we're to do all that we do unto the Lord because he possesses us. I, I like to say that Jesus is the one true dictator. That's the only government that we're gonna be interested in in eternity is the perfect king, the one whose rule will be, will be uh, conducted uh, in light of the gospel. We will be on the other side of the cross, if you will. Our resurrection life is going to be because we came through the cross. We have died with him and we have been risen again to newness of life. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. And to have Jesus is to have everything. The Lord is my shepherd. That means that I am not my own. But because I have been purchased by him, I shall not want. In other words, and that's the problem is that we, we often treat church as a place where we get what we want. And I think that this is a deeply dysfunctional view of what the purpose of the church is. You are not here to get what you need. You are here to meet with the living Christ so that he can get out of you what he has created you for, which is to be a conduit of his love to a lost world. And I think that this is incredibly important for us to get our heads around because when the church truly begins to function as it ought to, which is a people that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that we become actually a compelling place by which people truly experience shelter or what I like to say is belonging. What is one of the great issues in our city is homelessness. It's not just... I don't have money. It's literally the issue. We, there's plenty of meals to go around in this city. The issue is that people don't have homes. Um, but I think that that spiritual homelessness is something that we underestimate as well. And that actually finding our way home, uh, which only happens by the spirit drawing people out of the darkness into the light. And he does that through the church. And that's why I say, if we don't show up, we don't come to the building on Sunday and a bunch of visitors come and, and God's people aren't here. Basically, it's like people coming to your house when you're gone and you're not there to actually show them any hospitality. Um, we don't want people to come to an empty building because this is a pretty lonely space with no people in it. I spent a lot of time in here by myself when COVID first started and I realized that a church is actually quite uncomfortable when it's empty. It's a big space. It feels there, the, even the echo in it makes you feel the emptiness more fully. It's when it's filled with people. And I don't know if you guys have seen, I'll, I'll put it up next week so you guys can see it, but the picture of Luis preaching here, the opening, our opening night as Door of Hope in this building was Good Friday two years ago. And Luis Palau, I have a picture standing behind him and he's, he was so sick he had to hold on to the pulpit while he preached. And still so many came to faith that night, but every single space in this building was filled and the sound was perfect. There was no echo because there was like 1,200 people in here. It's definitely a fire code issue, but Luis is like, ah, 
if the firemen come, we'll share the gospel with them too. That was his, literally, I'm like, I love you. Everything about you. That's just, you're speaking my love language. A blatant disregard for protocol. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and I just love, I love that, that space when so many people here, and that's the thing. What do the neighbors, want? they want to know what's going on. They want to, what's happening and to come in and experience that electricity, that joy of the gospel going forth and people getting saved and God's people filling every space. That's my vision for this church. When COVID comes to a close, I pray that each week we just see more and more people returning to their first love and people coming out of death into life, that we would have a return to what we saw in the early days of Door of Hope, which was hundreds of people getting saved every year and hundreds of people being baptized. I pray that, that the best is yet to come, friends. And, it, and I think when we understand that Jesus has come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, and abundant life is not about having stuff, it's about having peace, it's about having joy, it's about having God himself as your friend. For to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love the great line from the first chapter of pursuit of God and this is what it means to be the house of God it's a place where we find shelter belonging and where we find provision and the provision is God's very presence in our lives secondly the house of the Lord is a place of rest uh, as well as formation Um, and I would actually say rest and restoration where we learn to become uh, the Christians that we are. Uh, It's interesting, when we become born again, it still takes a lifetime to become the Christians that we are. Uh, And this is what we call sanctification. And sanctification does not come through us trying to present to the world some some sort of ideal that we can't live up to. Sanctification comes from allowing Jesus the ability to be responsible for us. Notice what it says, he makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There has been some who have said that Christianity is all receptivity. And I would argue um, actually in favor of that, that the only thing that you and I have the ability to do is to surrender to Christ's power so that as you know the the kind of the the heartbeat of Luis's ministry was driven by the influence of Major Ian Thomas on his life and Major Ian Thomas his favorite thing to preach was no it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me that that faith in Christ is allowing Christ to be Christ in and through us that it's about enjoying heaven on the way to heaven because the thing that makes heaven heaven is Christ's presence in the center of our lives. And I love this because this picture that he gives me rest, there's a lot of talk about what it means to, to, to have rest in a restless age. And you know, my friend John Mark Comer, he wrote a book that's done quite well called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And we were just talking about this the other day when I was visiting with him. And that, you know, there's a lot of great principles of how to enter into a place where we truly are giving the Lord space 
to speak to us, that we, we are a people that are designed for rest. But I actually would argue that the kind of rest that the psalmist is speaking of and the kind of rest that Jesus is speaking of in Matthew um, 11 is not, is not the one day a week of Sabbath. I think that's an important rhythm in life. We, we all need breaks. But the kind of rest that Jesus is speaking of is the rest that comes from proximity to him. It's the kind of space that comes out of that word abide, which is to remain in. This is what Hebrews says when it says that there is yet a rest for us to enter. And that rest is Christ himself. He is our Sabbath rest. And I love this because he makes us lie down. I think of a home, isn't that essentially the house is the one place where we truly have the freedom to be ourselves. It's the one place where my son still, to this day, from the time he was a toddler, likes to, he, he was like the kid, he called it getting naked, but he was just the kid that always would strip down to his, like his little underoos, little superhero underwear and like read books. And just that's the safety of being like that casual. And I think Hank's still a little bit like that even at 19. Um, but I love that, the, the, the house is a place of such, of such safety and security. I am known, I am safe. It is a place where I find rest, but it's also because it's a place of beauty and rest. And some of you are like me who grew up in, in homes that didn't feel safe. And this is why it's so important for us in the church. We can't, we can't lean into that. Like the reason church is difficult for me is because I had such dysfunctional family life. We can't allow our past to define, we can't escape our past but we need to remember it has to be brought into the tension of that passage. If anyone be in Christ, all things are new. In other words, you may have been born that way, but you have been born again. So we can't use that as an excuse. We can discover what it means to live in a house where rest and spiritual formation is a reality. And that spiritual formation doesn't come out of us pretending to be perfect that spiritual formation actually comes out of us sincerely and honestly coming before our God with open hands and saying Lord without you I can do nothing that I am broken that I am mixture and what you want from me is not moral perfection what you want from me is me all of me the good and the bad I believe that the reason that Ravi Zacharias uh, his ministry has just collapsed after his death is because he fell into the trapping that so many leaders fall into which is it is our responsibility to present to the world the ideal that we cannot actually live and what that creates is duplicity and what is desperately needed from the pulpit and in the church as a whole is a radical vulnerability Christians love to talk about vulnerability but we are the least vulnerable people on the planet we're so concerned with being proper that we forgot how to be real. And I think that what we need is a rawness. And that's why I love AA. Because you go to an AA meeting and what you get is real. And the healing that comes and the power to overcome the brokenness of alcoholism comes out of the context of a radical vulnerability that says, I can't do this alone. My confession that I'm an alcoholic is actually the means by which I find freedom from my alcoholism. And I think the same goes for sin. Our confession of sin is actually the path to our sainthood. Because sin unconfessed hides Jesus from us. Sin confessed, sin becomes the place where Jesus meets us. 
the healing of the, of the wounded healer when we allow ourselves to come into the light. And that is what a house that is attractive to people is like. It's a place where people, I wanna have in my own home, I want my home to be a place when people come in, they feel peace at ease. They feel like it's a place where they can kick back and find some comfort over a cup of coffee, over a conversation. This is a place where people can be real. That's what the church should be like. And I love this because I love the idea of Door of Hope being a place where it's like people are getting refreshed. They're drinking from the well of life. They're experiencing the very presence of Jesus in a people who are real um, about their pursuit of Christ and their brokenness without him. The house of the Lord is also a place of protection as well as witness. The the psalmist goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I mean, there seems to be such a widespread breakdown in modern life, both individually and collectively. Uh, It's a deepening sense of uncertainty that has crept in and, and, and has increased fear. It's increased anxiety. It's increased depression. And it's increased in overall restlessness uh, that, that we all are familiar with. Uh, I think we have discovered what Frederick Buechner said, life seems to be terminal. Um, and, and that overwhelms many of us. But we have to be reminded of who we are. And the, being a part of the house of God is a place where we are confronted with the one who conquered death. It's the one who we are told in Romans, which is what we're gonna be jumping back into um, at the close of this series, which means next week. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the difference between Christians and non-Christians is not that we live without pain, but it's how we live with pain. We need to have a more robust theology of suffering in the church, but as the house of God, because we are honest about the suffering in the world and the suffering in our own lives, it becomes a place where there's real healing, where there's real comfort, where there's real protection. But the protection is only for the purpose of preparing us for sacrificial witness. And I talked about this in detail when we looked at the church as the flock of God, that yes, Jesus is the good shepherd, keeps his sheep healthy, he protects them from wolves, but the reason he protects them from wolves is because he has his own plans for the sheep and his plans for the sheep is generally sacrifice. And we're not comfortable with that part of it because we're like, he keeps us. His sheep hear his voice and they know him and they follow him. Yes, and he asks us just as he is the lamb who is slain before the foundation of the world that we continually be a witness to what that looks like. That is why the table that is prepared before our enemies is not our way of of saying, look what we have in Jesus, sucker. No, the table is, is look what we have in Jesus, come eat with us, come dine with us, come into our house. Come and experience our king. Come and witness the one whom we are gathered around. For the invisible Christ makes himself visible through his people. 
And the ways that Jesus has been the most real to me has been the ways that I have experienced him in friends like Luis, where every time I left Luis's presence, I didn't think what a great man, I thought what a great savior. And I believe that that's what God wants for us as his people. I, I think that when we think of the, the very words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, the greatest need in the world today is a quiet heart. And man, does the church need to be a reflection of that. Finally, in closing, the house of the Lord is a place of fellowship as well as worship. The psalmist closes with, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This picture of goodness and mercy following us is that goodness and mercy is not something to obtain, but it is always connected to someone that we know. And in Jesus himself said, why do you call me good? There is only one who is good, and that is God. And so for goodness to follow us means that God is pursuing us. As we sang in, in the song that I wrote, he is pursuing us into the dark. He understands where you're at. He knows the things that you're going through. He knows you better. than He is closer to you than you are to your own thoughts. He knows you better than you can even dare imagine. There is nothing that is hidden from him. And there is nothing in your life that, does not, uh, that he is not interested in. He wants to be engaged in every facet of your existence. And he wants to be real to you. And I would even argue that, that for those of you who are saying like, I, I'm like, all I feel is God's absence. You wouldn't even use that kind of language unless you knew what his presence was. Because if there wasn't a God, He's not absent or present, he just isn't. And that's not the reality. There's something in the human heart that just knows that not to be true, that we're made for something more. And I believe that the church has a responsibility to point people toward that reality by truly functioning as the house of God. That we are a temple as well as a house, which means we're a place of fellowship and belonging as well as a place of worship. And that is why I love this. says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist had no idea what he was saying. For the house of the Lord is not a future distant hope. The house of the Lord is you and I with the indwelling spirit of God within us. And as we come together as a people who have the spirit of God within us, we can create a space where it becomes thin, where heaven and earth become close, where people experience Jesus. That's what God wants for us. We are the temple of God. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the living God? This is why Paul warns so fiercely against sexual sin. He goes, all other sins are outside of the body, but sexual sin is to actually violate the very temple of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit who is within you. Is our home our lives as a home for God, is it a hostile environment? Is it a toxic environment? Or is it a place where people experience the rest and the shalom of Jesus? And that's what I pray over our church. As Nikki Gumbel wisely said, every time people walk by an empty church in the UK, what they say is there's a long lost, a long lost kingdom and a forgotten king. That is not what we want for Dwarf Hope. We didn't take over these beautiful buildings to restore them so they look pretty. We took over these buildings to create a place where the people who are in, filled with the Spirit of God can gather together and become a true light and witness to the city of Portland, a city that desperately needs the gospel. And I believe people are hungry and ready to hear it. 
Are we ready to be witnesses to King Jesus as we move toward the ability to be together once again? So this is the word of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your gospel. I do pray that on this day, not only would we know you, that we would walk with you, that we would be filled with your spirit, that we would be touched by your grace, that we would be open to your light. And we ask that you would show us anything within us that is hindering people from being able to see you in our lives. Help us to become naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. Lord, help us to be conduits of your grace. Remind us, Lord, that on our worst day, you're crazy about us. Lord, may your love compel us. I pray this would be truly the house of God where people could come in and say, God is in this place and I now do know it. Lord, that is our prayer. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.